If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians. We're over the next four weeks um, returning and hope to finish the last two chapters of this important letter um, from the Apostle Paul. And so this morning we're in chapter 12. Um, Before jumping in, let me thank uh, many of you who have been sending me emails um, about just some of these outreach contacts that you uh, that the Lord has allowed you to have with uh, uh, just unchurched neighbors and friends and conversations, appointments uh, uh, that you've scheduled to have a meal, uh, share a meal with. And, and so thank you for letting me know. Um, and I encourage you, especially, okay, so especially as we're heading into the holiday season, um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, this is an excellent time to be intentional in communicating the love of Christ um, to your friends and neighbors. So let me encourage you to keep it up. And, and again, let me know in a text or in an email, uh, just a brief uh, story of, of how the Lord used you. The passage before us is a fascinating look at what the Apostle Paul finds personally relevant when it comes to sharing about himself to others. There are some things, though, uh, perhaps of immense importance to himself uh, that he finds of little use uh, in terms of his Christian ministry. And then there are things in his life that he feels quite free to boast about because he sees it as actually bringing encouragement um, to his brothers and sisters. And at the same time, uh, this form of boasting leads to God being praised and God being honored and glorified. So these two forms of boasting that we're going to read about. Would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? And this is from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, we offer you our glory, 
our worship and praise as we seek to listen and to be fed by your word. As the one who inspired this word, may you bring understanding to our hearts and minds. We seek that wisdom which is from above and which you promise to give to those who ask. And so we ask it with confidence. In the name of our Savior, amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul finds himself again in this uncomfortable situation. Again, just to remind you of the context, um, part of the context for 2 Corinthians is that Paul is addressing this group of traveling evangelists and teachers that have infiltrated, we'll use that word, they've infiltrated uh, this church in Corinth, and they have been teaching a gospel that is at odds with the gospel and with the message that the Apostle Paul taught. And in order to establish their authority, um, they've had to do two things. They've they've had to um, share things for their own self-promotion, and they've also had to discredit the Apostle Paul, um, uh, referring to his sufferings as as somehow um, a sign that that maybe God was not with the Apostle Paul, that this seems inconsistent with the blessing of God and the wisdom of God on his life. They've insinuated that, you know, a true apostle would be more eloquent, um, that he, you know, apparently the apostle wasn't uh, um, enamored with the Greek and, and Roman forms of, of um, rhetoric and, and eloquence. And so for these reasons, um, the Apostle Paul is, is he's entering into this, this, this whole concept of boasting. And again, with the, and part of what he's doing here is it seems to be the context that um, the boasting, these kind of uh, envisions and revelations appears to be something that the false teachers were engaging in. Again, to establish their credibility with the Corinthian believers. And so Paul, this is a game that the Apostle Paul does not want to play, but he's going to enter into it, um, uh, and we'll see how he does this. But he begins by sharing this remarkable vision that he has. Um, in verse 1, Paul alerts us that though he finds it necessary to share about this, this remarkable vision uh, that he once experienced, He finds it both distasteful. He finds it, actually, spiritually speaking, he finds it irrelevant. So 2 Corinthians, we start right away in verse 1. And there the apostle writes, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained. So this is how he feels about what he's about to write. There's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So this seems to be a game that these false teachers are playing. And the apostle is thinking, to, he finds it distasteful. He finds it unnecessary. And the way he goes about sharing this vision makes it very clear um, that this is not a game he wants to play. Um, and, and he engages in this sharing of this particular um, experience he had in a way that it comes across as a mild rebuke. Like this is the sort of, you know, um, uh, the, the sort of kind of conversation that's just, it, it's not helpful and you shouldn't be asking for it in terms of the Corinthians. So, um, so Paul, given this 
this sense of, uh, that he finds this, um, this kind of sharing not to be helpful to his listeners. And, and it's partly because this particular vision that he has, um, it would only serve the purposes of self-promotion. And, and he, he just resists self-promotion in every form, in every direction. So this is the kind of boasting he doesn't want to engage in. But but he, he wants to show that, okay, so, you know, these false teachers have their experiences. I, I, you know, the Lord has done similar kinds of things, if not even greater things, in my own life. And this leads him to go on um, uh, to share about this vision. This is a vision that was given to him, he says, 14 years earlier, before he began his first missionary journey. And at the time when 2 Corinthians was written, Paul was on his third missionary journey. Fourteen years ago, when he was likely in Antioch, he had this experience where he was caught up when he describes in verse 2 as the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, he says, I do not know, God knows. Now, this third heaven language is, is just it appears to have been uh, the kind of language that was current in the ancient world where the first heaven was the sky, you know, where there are clouds and birds that fly that we look up into that's blue during the day. Um, and then the second heaven was what we would refer to as space, where the sun and the moon and the stars are to be found. And then they would refer to the habitation of God, what we would call heaven. They would refer to the habitation of God, this dimension where God dwells in all of his glory as the third heaven. And so he goes on to describe this third heaven as, um, as paradise in verse 3. Uh, again, he's, you know, there, there's a lot of mystery surrounding this experience. It was real to the apostle, so real that he, could, he feels like, I could have been there in the body, though I am not sure about um, the, the literal nature. It could have been just a vision, but it was real. Uh, it was a very uh, concrete vision uh, that he seems to have had. There Paul heard things that apparently God will not permit him to share at this time. Things, he says in verse 4, that cannot be told. For Paul, this was an enormously powerful, it was a personal experience. That much is clear in the way he describes this. Um, and probably it was a kind of experience, you know, that just in a personal way, it fortified the Apostle Paul. It was used to confirm his calling. It's the kind of experience that a person can look back to when feeling... Um, going through extreme trials, um, challenges, suffering. Did the Lord really call me? Yes. <laughs> I remember back when the Lord granted me, you know, this vision. And even to this day, there, there are those kinds of experiences that people called into particular kinds of ministries can fall back on. Um, the kinds of things that sharing in public may not always be um, the most helpful uh, thing to share. But for the individual, it could have come in the form of a dream. It could have come in the form of you're walking and you just sense the voice of God um, where the Spirit is just powerfully at work and, and giving you this, this kind of concrete confirmation that this is God's calling. And, and to be sure, I think for the Apostle Paul personally, that's the way this, this experience he had, this vision apparently that he had, seems to have functioned within um, his own life. And I think part of the concern here that Paul has um, is he doesn't want to encourage the Corinthians or anyone reading his letter 
to put a whole lot of stock in these kinds of experiences, these kinds of experiences that other people have. He doesn't want people to think that this is the way that spiritual authority or that spiritual truth is established. And there's always a temptation um, to give way too much influence to these subjective spiritual claims and experiences that people have. Even to this day, you know, we, we, there are these um, uh, sometimes spiritual leaders who, who will fall back, oh, I had a dream, or God spoke to me, or, you know, he showed me this, and, and, um, and people are like, oh, you know, this is, you, you must be, you know, God's man and, and, or God's woman, and, and, and this is um, uh, clear evidence of your authority. What the, Paul, what the Apostle Paul says is not so fast. Don't, this is um, the, the kinds of experiences that can have personal relevance but they're not to be used to establish authority. They're not to be established uh, truth or teaching or a teacher's credibility. And I think that's the meaning of verse 6. And, and when Paul writes, though if I should wish to boast, that is like these false teachers, I would not be a fool. I would be speaking the truth. That is, Paul is absolutely clear that what he is sharing, it really happened. But he says, I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me and hears from me. So what's the test of his authority? What is Paul saying? He's saying, look at my character. Look at the fruit. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Is there a sense, you think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see evidence of, of, of this character in my life? Do you see that, that God has actually has used me in the lives of others, whether it's in the form of teaching or in planting churches? He says, that's what I want you to see. Look at, you know, how have I faced the trials and the suffering that God has placed in my path? You know, and what you, I think what you want to be looking for um, is not just an experience. Um, what you want to be looking for is not just even character, godly character, but you want to be looking for that character being demonstrated consistently over a period of time. You want to be, you want to be able to see a track record. And that's what Paul is saying. When you're looking at teachers, um, uh, oh, the Lord, I heard this word. And it may be that God spoke to that person. It may be. But that has no bearing on that person's authority within the church. And you see, that seems inconsistent, but that's what Paul is saying. In part, I think, is because these kinds of experiences are subjective. They're unverifiable most of the time. They are unrepeatable. And so these are not the kinds of things you want to grant authority to. And that's partly um, how Paul is, is uh, treating this particular vision of heaven. What should they judge by? What a person sees in me or hears from me is what Paul says. What you should pay attention to is my life and my teaching. And at the heart of that, is there a love for Christ? Is the Apostle Paul says this, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is the person directing your eyes to the glory of Christ, to the glory and the majesty of Jesus as our only Savior and as our Lord. That's what Paul says. These are the kind of things you should be looking for uh, in someone who claims to have authority. And again, 
He's so disabled. He, he, he describes this person in the third person, but in the context, it's clear he's talking about himself. It's another way just to distance himself from what he just feels like is distasteful self-promotion. That's what it, it appears. And so with all that said, it's important to say that Paul was not opposed to boasting altogether. There is a way of boasting that brings encouragement to those who hear it, and at the same time gives God all the glory. And so Paul describes this kind of boasting as boasting in his weaknesses, and and really beginning in verse 5, but especially in verses 7 through 10. In verse 5, Paul declares, On my own behalf I will not boast, except, and this is where he allows himself to boast, except of my weaknesses. See, he's, he's okay. I'll, I'll tell you about where I have limitations, where I, I feel um, somewhat self-conscious. I'll, I'll be free and just say, I am no perfect man. I am flawed in many ways. Um, and, and, and that's the sort of thing, uh, you know, <laughs> and if you know me, you know it's true. It's, it's like, uh, and this is true of every pastor and teacher. Um, we're all, all Christians. It's just part of who we are, uh, that we are flawed. We are limited. We, we have uh, weaknesses, many weaknesses in our lives, and, and it flows in different directions. In verse 10, Paul describes some of the weaknesses, some of the things he describes as weaknesses when he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, he says, because that gives God's power space to be at work. For that reason, I'm actually strong, is what he declares. We've already seen how the level of suffering and rejection that Paul had endured was being used against him, as if his sufferings were the result of serious character flaws, rather than the result of faithfully standing for Christ. It also seems clear that Paul was not outwardly, he was not physically impressive, He was not that eloquent speaker, at least by Greek standards. Um, Outwardly, he probably came across as surprisingly ordinary. And, and, and this should encourage us. And so he's, this is where he's like, this is, I'll, I'll brag about that because, um, again, that's an encouragement to all others who feel like they're inadequate in, in certain directions where they feel limited. Um, and so he continues to get a little more specific, uh, beginning in verse 7. In connection with this powerful vision of heaven, Paul describes this God-given thorn in the flesh. So verse 7. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he goes on to describe um, God's answer, which was essentially, no. <laughs> There's an answer. Sometimes our, the answers to our prayers is no. That was the case in this prayer. Um, now, the, what is the thorn in the flesh? Well, Paul just simply does not tell us. He leaves this, you know, this kind of open secret, uh, and it's this mystery that um, scholars love to begin to um, uh, to 
to pursue and investigate. And, and probably, the, you know, in my view, as I'm working through the different options, probably the most likely um, thorn that he's describing is some physical handicap. Uh, whether it has to do with his eyes or whether it's some physical limitation um, that apparently began shortly after he had this vision. Because he says that this thorn in the flesh, it's, it's from God, though directly it appears to be this kind of demonic um, uh, messenger is how he describes this, uh, this messenger of Satan that has had this power over his physical body, or perhaps, um, whatever the thorn in the flesh is. Um, but it's, he tells us the purpose of this thorn. And the purpose was to keep him from becoming conceited, that he was given this glorious vision. And then suddenly on the heels of that vision, he is given this, this painful thorn. And it appears to be the kind of thing that you know, made him self-conscious. Even if other people may not have noticed it, he was self-conscious about whatever this thorn is because it humbled him. That's what he says. It, it, it kept me from becoming conceited. It's the kind of thing, apparently, that he just, that embarrassed him. This kind of limitation. And so he's earnestly praying with the Lord. He says three times, but that could just be a symbolic number of like, I prayed over and over again until the Lord, you know, he's like, stop praying. I, this is intentional. And this is, again, to give me space to be at work in your life. This is so that, as James says, you know, this is the kind of trial that will lead you to becoming mature and complete, not lacking anything in the Lord. That's what this is about, Paul. And he goes on and he says, and he goes on to talk about um, uh, God's promise. It's a promise to those who feel themselves to be weak. And this is in verse 9, where he says, My grace is sufficient for you. And he continues, For my power is made perfect in weakness. These were words of life. Even though the answer to his prayer was no, the reasoning, the explanation for why the no were words of healing. They were words of encouragement, words of strength and life uh, for the apostle. This is the high point of our text this morning. Challenges, physical limitations, cultural limitations, personal struggles are part of God's design for our lives. They're the kinds of things that very often God does not take away, at least not immediately, because these kinds of challenges and limitations keep us humble. They help increase our dependence on the Lord. They help increase our spiritual maturity, making us complete um, in Christ. They're opportunities for God's grace and power to be at work in and through us. And so there are at least two encouragements. One is that when we feel ourselves to be struggling with some challenge or limitation, God comes alongside us. And this may be why the apostle doesn't get specific about his thorn in the flesh. This is kind of the, uh, uh, a technique of the Psalms, where you just 
kind of put in this general um, uh, uh, theme. You know, I fell into the miry pit and, and in the clay. And, and, and it'll, it's the kind of language, it's ambiguous language that allows the reader to come along and it's kind of like you fill in the blank. And you fill in the blank with the specific issue that you're dealing with, the struggle that's in your heart, the thing you've been praying for the Lord, Lord, take this out, you know, cause this thing to leave me. And rather than doing that, the Lord gives us the same promise that he gave to Paul. If you look to me, my grace, my presence, my promises, my provision will be there. And I will strengthen you to be the person you need to be in whatever situation you are in. The Lord, like he says to Paul, he says to you, my grace is sufficient. My grace will be enough to get you through. But know this, my grace is like the manna that came upon Israel in the days of their wilderness wanderings. What do I mean by that? Well, God only supplied enough manna for that day. In the Lord's Prayer, what are we called to pray? What does Jesus teach us to pray for when, we, when he says to pray for our needs? We're, we are encouraged to pray for our daily needs. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say, give us enough bread to last us for the next five years. Now, that's the, kind of, that's the answer we actually want, though, right? Why does he only supply enough for the day? Well, because it keeps us dependent. It also gives God the space he needs to show that he's real, to show that he is present in our lives, to show that his promises are true and trustworthy and reliable. And so he says, pray, and I will give you the grace you need. You, you're like, ah, I need grace for the next month, or for, the, for, the, for the coming years. Be content with the grace he supplies for this day. And then he'll supply it all over again the next day and the day after that. But what does it require? It does require that we are looking to him for this grace. It does require that we're not looking to idols, that we're not looking to our own devices, or maybe we're not looking at all. It requires an active, daily, continuous trust in the Lord God. My grace is sufficient. And then the second principle uh, that causes Paul to actually be content with whatever this embarrassing thorn is in his flesh is that God's power is now made perfect in weakness. In other words, God's specialty is using ordinary, limited, very imperfect, flawed men and women, boys and girls, to achieve wonderful things. God loves to use ordinary, painfully ordinary individuals. And just as God powerfully used the Apostle Paul to plant churches, to leave a legacy of faith um, for the centuries that would follow, especially through his writings that were just, in some sense, sealed, you know, signed and sealed by his own sufferings. Just as the Lord used a man with limitations, 
so too he loves to the present to use just ordinary people with all their flaws and limitations, their inability to speak, you know, eloquently. Um, they, tri- they, 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 they continue to trip over their words. They, they trip over their limitations. And these are the kinds of people that God loves to use to achieve his purposes, to bring encouragement, to help see the kingdom expand and grow uh, in the world around us. But this does require courage. This does require, the one thing it requires is faith, and it requires trust. Paul says, now that I can see how my weaknesses are being used by God to build my character, to build my dependence on God, and I see how it's used as an encouragement to others that God can use them, and I see that gives space for God's power to be at work so that ultimately God's, people look at what Paul's accomplished and they think, how in the world did this guy accomplish all of these wonderful deeds? He must serve an amazing God. That's how. And so our weaknesses, you see, become strengths, the kinds of things that Paul can actually be content with. And so now I'm just going to conclude with his words. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then what? I am strong. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for ordaining the word of your apostles and how this word continues to guide your church. Our hearts wander so easily from the truth that we need their writings. We need the the scriptures to lead us in paths of righteousness. Lord, make us grateful for the sacrifice of the apostle Paul and of the other apostles. Give us the wisdom to follow their teachings, no matter how inconvenient or difficult they may seem. And so we pray it in the one who loved us and died for us. In the name of Jesus, amen.